0: Well, good morning. Welcome again to TBA. So glad you guys are here this morning. I'm Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team here. If you haven't already, I just want to encourage you to invite somebody to be here with you next week. It's going to be a different kind of Sunday, as you just heard about. We're going to be doing some things related to the Super Bowl. Great opportunity to invite them in. I also want to remind you that you should be living intentionally at whatever Super Bowl party you may go to. It's a great opportunity to build relationship and to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus, to live out the vision he's put before us. So this morning we're continuing in our Joshua series and the whole goal of this is to watch the journey of Israel into the promised land, to see the vision that God has laid before them and to watch them walk into that and to see how that connects with our story as we chase after God's vision as well. And I'm really excited about a lot of the things that I've been seeing over these last few weeks as we've been walking through that. In fact, I wore my really loud shirt today because I wanted to make sure that you were listening when I talked today. People come out in the lobby and they're like... Wow, I could like see you from a mile away. Well, good. Maybe now you'll pay attention. You won't be able to go to sleep because you'll need your sunglasses. But we're going to jump into Joshua 3 and 4 today. They're both short chapters. I would encourage you, if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open that up. Um, Joshua is the sixth book in the Old Testament, so it's near the beginning. Make it really easy for you to find. And as we jump into it, let me recap what's happening so far in the story, just so we're all on the same page. So Joshua chapter 1, Moses has just passed away. And Joshua has been appointed as the new leader of Israel. And really the whole chapter is about God reminding Joshua and reminding the nation of Israel about his promises that he's given to them. So he's telling them all about the promised land and and calling them to action, calling them to walk in faith to step into those promises. And there's a recurring theme that we see throughout the first chapter that happens actually in the whole book of Joshua, and it's this. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You're going to hear that over and over. And over and over and over. Chapter 2, last week, Stevie dug into for us. was really the beginning of that journey. Joshua sends a couple spies into Jericho just across the Jordan River. It's the first city that they will be going to conquer as they possess the promised land. The two spies meet Rahab, the prostitute. And if you remember the story, Rahab shares her faith with them. They're able to, to have a conversation back and forth. The spies promise Rahab that her and her family will be spared as long as she follows through with her end of the deal. They, she gets them safely back to uh, the Israelites, and they report back to Joshua, and now they're starting on the journey, and that's where we're picking up the story this morning. The beginning of chapter 3, Joshua is mobilizing the Israelites towards the Jordan River. Start with me in verse 1. It says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God... Move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure that you don't come any closer. Now let's put this in a little bit of context. Keep in mind here that Israel has been traveling through the wilderness for 40 years. I think after 40 years, they've probably got a system down. They kind of know who has what responsibility, who's doing what, where are they going, how do they travel together, they've got a plan but Joshua is giving very specific instructions, and he's really kind of changing things up. In fact, we may not catch it on first glance, but when you stop and look at how the Israelites traveled all through the wilderness, Joshua is now saying, well, I want the Levitical priest to carry the ark at the front of the procession. Well, that's not how they've been doing it, because normally the ark is in the middle of the camp when they're camping, and it's in the middle of the procession when they're walking anywhere. They basically surround the ark so that God's presence is in the middle of them. But Joshua was saying, no, I want the priests to carry the ark, which the priests actually were not the ones who normally carried it. It was normally the Kohathite Levites who were carrying the ark and had that responsibility. And the priests only did it when there was something really significant going on. So this was kind of an extraordinary situation. The priests are carrying the ark, and they're carrying the ark in front of the Israelites. And he even gives specific directions about how far to stay back from the ark. And I think there's a, a couple reasons that plays into that, but the big thing that we need to walk away with here is that we need to remember God is still leading the way with the Israelites. Brian talked to us last week about the, the cloud and the pillar of fire and how God led the Israelites through the wilderness. The pillar and the cloud are gone now, but God is still leading the way because the ark is going before them and they are following God's presence. And why the distance? Well, I think one, one answer is really simple. They were to give God reverence. And so they're giving space between them and the ark just to show he is so mighty and so powerful. But I think there's an even, even more important explanation of the distance that they gave. It's because there are nearly a million Israelites who are traveling together. And God wants them to be able to see that it is he that is going before them and paving the way and it's him that's going to, spark, to stop the waters of the river so that the Israelites can cross. And if you've got a million people trying to see something, you can't have a group of people crowded up on what they're trying to see. He's saying, no, step back, give a little distance so that all of the nation can can see me go before you and watch what I'm going to do. There's one more really important detail that goes into this story before we jump into the excitement of crossing the Jordan. It comes from verse 5. It says this, Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Now this is a really simple verse, really short, one of those we often jump right across. But Joshua's telling the people, Get ready because God's going to do something huge. Interestingly, the same command that Joshua is giving here is the command that Moses gave the Israelites when they were at Mount Sinai and he was receiving the law of God, the Ten Commandments. He tells them to consecrate themselves, to be set apart for God's purpose. Purify yourselves. Be ready for what God's going to do. And when you think about where they are, they're in the wilderness, in the desert. Water is not something, it's not a a commodity that they have a lot of access to for bathing themselves. I mean, sure, they're near the Jordan River, but the Jordan River's a floodplain. It's like a whitewater river running through. It's hard to gather water out of. So they don't have the ability to bathe and do these things. But the picture painted here is one of the entire nation of Israel bathing themselves, putting on fresh, clean clothes, and then presenting themselves to God. Fresh and clean, both physically and spiritually. They're set apart for His purpose. Now, why is that significant? See, Israel's about to embark on another faith journey. They're preparing to take a huge step that's going to require complete faith and sold-out obedience to God. It's not something that's going to happen casually. They need to be prepared. They have to be focused, giving 100% of their attention. And so do you and I. We have to prepare our hearts for what God is going to do. Listen to that. We have to prepare our hearts for what God's going to do. As you've been hearing and I know you you know full well, next week is the Super Bowl. So these two teams that supposedly are the best in the NFL are going to come together and play football next Sunday night. And let me tell you what they're not going to do. They're not going to show up at game time and just casually walk out on the field for the coin toss to figure out who gets the ball first and start the game. They're going to show up early. They're going to stretch out and get their muscles limber and loose and ready for this this sport. They're going to Talk about their battle plan going in. What are our plays? What are we going to do? What's the other team going to do? What are we expecting? They're going to talk through all of it. They're going to have warm-up drills that they run. They're going to have meetings with their their smaller teams and their coaches. They're going to go through this whole process to prepare themselves so that they come in 110% focused on one thing. Winning the game. Being the Super Bowl champions. They've got one purpose, and they're going to gear everything towards that one purpose. And it's the exact same for for Israel here. This is the biggest day of their journey so far, and think about it. They've had some pretty big days, all the wandering through the wilderness, the things God's done with them. But they have to be 100% focused and intently seeking God's direction. They need to be walking in complete unity. The Jordan River that they're getting ready to cross is a floodplain. Now, I've had the privilege of being in Israel a few times, and when you see the Jordan River... I'm kind of an old country guy, came from West Virginia, and honestly, I look at the Jordan River and I go, that's not a river, that's a big creek. But when the Jordan River is a floodplain, when the snows melt and all the waters come down, it overflows its banks and it changes completely from that little calm creek that you can get in and do baptisms to this raging whitewater kind of river. And in fact, they say over 2,000 years ago when this story was happening, it was even bigger that when you go back and you read and you understand the geography of what was happening, they're saying that the river would have been a mile wide and raging whitewater kind of rushing water coming down through this river. Now, let's give perspective. You've got nearly a million Israelites that need to cross that river safely. That's a little scary. We're not talking about our well-conditioned soldiers who are on the front lines who can swim and get across and make their own way. We're talking about you've got to get grandma across, you've got to get the baby across, you've got to get them all over. A million people safely across this raging river a mile wide. That's going to take a miracle in and of itself. They've got to be prepared. So Joshua goes on and he gives instructions to the priests according to what God had told him. Tells them how they're going to carry the ark and how they're going to enter the river. Then he talks to the rest of the Israelites. And this is interesting. He explains that God's going to go before them and that God assures them of victory over every enemy. That's the first thing he says. It's not talking about the river or how they're going to part the waters or how they're going to get across or whether they're going to swim or what it's going to look like. He says he's going to go before you and defeat every enemy, give you victory over every enemy. And then he says, oh, by the way, he's going to stop the water of the Jordan too so you can cross. He's going to stop the river. How many of you have seen a river stop so somebody can walk across? None of you? I mean, I have enough trouble just fixing leaky pipes at my house. Can you imagine stopping the flow of a river, especially a mile wide, raging waters? But that's what God says he's going to do. Pick up with me in verse 14, chapter 3. It says, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge... The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So God goes before them. The ark, with the priest carrying it, goes into the water first, stops the flow of the Jordan at floodplain, a mile wide raging river. And what does it say? And the riverbed was dry. Those are three little words that mean a whole lot. The riverbed was dry. The sandy, clay-packed soil that moments before had millions of gallons of water rushing across it wasn't wet, wasn't soggy, wasn't muddy. It was dry, solid ground for them to walk across. Three different places in chapter 3, it reiterates that, that the ground was dry, the riverbed was dry. God didn't just stop the water. He made the path safe for the Israelites to walk across. Now pause here for a minute because I think this is significant and I don't want us to glance over this moment. You and I can look back across the story and we can see how God has gone before his people. He's literally paved the way for them from the day they left Egypt in slavery under Moses' leadership, the the parting of the Red Sea, he killed the Egyptian army that was following them, there was the the cloud and the fire where he led them through the wilderness, there's the manna that he gave them for food every day, The list just goes on and on and on and on of how God's paved the way for them and how he's led them through the wilderness. Even when the people were disobedient, God was still leading them. He was still giving them direction. And now he's paving the way into the next step of their journey. All they have to do is walk in obedience and faith to cross that dry riverbed into the promised land. What's interesting to me is that their story is really no different than my story. And their story is no different than your story. Because God has been going before us and paving the way for all of our faith journey as well. In fact, I want to challenge you to do something today. I want to challenge you to take 30 minutes today at some point, whatever time it may be, and just set aside 30 minutes where you can just be still and be quiet before God. And think about all the times in your life that God has been faithful. Think about all the times that God has shown up in one of those kinds of moments and proven himself, and paved the way for you to walk on your journey, allowed you to walk across some dry ground. See, we need to look back and reflect on God's faithfulness on occasion so that we can be encouraged and reminded that he's still paving the way and that he's leading us in every step we take. Our church has had hundreds of those moments along the way. I told you the story a couple of weeks ago about this property and how th- there were some guys on a team that were trying to relocate a church and they felt like this was the property God laid on their hearts. But even as they pursued it, it was like all the doors closed. They ended up building over on the corner of Clubhouse and Lakeland Highlands. But just 14 years later, God brought two churches together through a merger, and the church ended up relocating here to be TBA on this property. The story of our merger, that's a Jordan River kind of miracle. I still can't explain how God did it. Two churches from two different denominations don't just come together. Trust me, we should... We should because we're all following after the same cause. but it doesn't happen because you get people in the mix and it messes it all up, right? Isn't that how it works? There's just too many opportunities for disagreement. But not only did God bring us together to form a new church for his purposes, but he did it so fast he pretty well left our heads spinning. That's why the name TBA came to be. I'm sure you all thought that you know, we had these really cool, crafty pastors that came up with this unique name that would grab people's attention. I wish. I'm not that smart. We were sitting in a room one day going, this is, this is happening. I mean, it's coming together. The merger's going through. We're going to be a church. What do we call it? What does this look like? I mean, we had a big picture of, of what God was calling us to, to do. We knew that we needed to reach people for Christ, but how we were going to do that didn't have any idea. And one of the leaders in the room threw, throws out this idea. He goes, let's just call it to be announced, and we'll announce it to the community later. And we all laughed at him. Are you kidding? Call a church to be announced? That's crazy. We did it. We didn't have much other option. We didn't have anything else. And it wasn't until more than a year later that God laid out the next pieces of the vision before us and helped us to make that decision to keep that crazy name, just to change the acronym to match the vision that he had put before us. You see, that year was significant because that first year of TBA, that was that time like we just looked at where Joshua asked the people to purify themselves. It was a time of us praying and seeking and going after God, asking him, what is... What is it that you want us to do? Prepare our hearts for this moment. And as the dust was settling from that nine-month merger journey, our pastor team was beginning to feel the pressure. Here we are, TBA, the newest church in the community, a passion for reaching people for Christ, but no clear sense of direction for how God wanted us to do that. We had two different traditions, two groups of people who had done church differently, two different perspectives on leadership, two locations with differing assets and restrictions, And it was all dropped into one big mess of clay. And we were just waiting for God to form and shape that clay into something. But if I'm being honest, most of the time we looked around and we went, wow, this is just a mess of mud. It's crazy. Church of the Highlands and Epic Church merged officially September 8, 2008 to form TBA. The next month, our pastor team committed to a 21-day period of fasting and prayer to seek God's heart and his direction for the church. What did he want us to look like? Where was he calling us to go? How would we reach our community? Most importantly, what would our name be? What was the identity going to look like? Because we couldn't keep this crazy TBA thing forever. Now, if you're used to keeping a full figure like I am, one day without food gets your attention. 21 days, you got 210% of my focus. 21 days that we fasted and prayed, and God had our attention, it served its purpose well. We were listening to what he wanted us to do. And we walked away from that 21 days going, well, we know the one next thing he asked us to do. I'll tell you, it wasn't real encouraging at the moment because we were expecting to come out of that 21 days with some kind of crazy five or ten year plan of where we were going and what it was going to look like and we didn't have it. We just knew the next step. And it continued over that next year. That really was a a time of laying the foundation over that year to prepare us for what God was wanting us to do. And even now, he's still just painting the picture one step at a time. One step at a time. But this was the beginning of a brand new journey that we chose to embark on. It was our journey towards the promised land, God's vision for TBA. January and February 2010, we spent six weeks sharing what God had revealed to us Casting vision for our next steps and revealing our new identity. And we were very confident that it was from God because none of us would have ever kept the name TBA. But it helped us to symbolize the vision God had put before us, trusting, believing, acting. God had paved the way for us to sell our current property on the corner of Clubhouse and Lakeland Highlands, which was five acres landlocked, and move onto this beautiful property here on 548 with frontage, ten acres, bigger piece of property, We literally cut our debt in half when we moved from a smaller piece of property to a bigger piece of property. You know God was in that. Oh, and by the way, along the way, our first year as TBA, we had a a note, a mortgage note, that was almost $100,000 that had been used to pay a down payment on this property. And because of a a variety of different things, that note got called suddenly. It was due. We didn't have $100,000 in the bank. But about the same time, it's interesting, the county called us and said... Hey, we'd like to buy that corner of property right there on Clubhouse in Lakeland Highlands so that we can expand the road and put a turn lane in. They made us an offer, and we went back and forth, negotiated a little bit, and you know where we landed? Almost the exact dollar amount that we needed to pay off that mortgage. Tell me God wasn't paving the way in those moments. It was crazy. At the end of February 2010, we began what we called our exodus. We had cast vision, we had put the new name out there, we had talked about where we were going, what God had laid before us, We moved all of our belongings into two semi-trailers. We parked on this property while we began building, and we were suddenly homeless. We began meeting at at the uh, Highland Park Church up the road on Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock in their family ministries building on the opposite side of the road there in their gym. Let me just tell you, Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. is not a good time to do your regular church service. Nobody wants to come to church at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon when they've had opportunity to do whatever they wanted to do all day Sunday, we went from having somewhere between 400 to 450 people on a regular Sunday to less than 200 every week. Some weeks down to like 125. It was crazy. And there were many moments where we questioned if this was the end. And we wondered, why did God bring us on this journey just to let us die in the wilderness? Sound familiar? It's crazy how our church story parallels so much of Israel's story, walking into the promised land. See, moving on to this property, into this building... That was our crossing the Jordan kind of moment. God paved the way. He led us into the promised land, and he brought us safely across the river, even when death and destruction seemed imminent. Our grand opening service here, August of 2010, we had over 700 people that showed up. Now think about that. We went from 200 the week before or less to 700 on that grand opening day. Now granted, there were people that came from all over, from other churches, just to come and celebrate, and that was all well and good, and we knew we weren't going to maintain that number, but it was exciting and we watched as God opened the floodgates and began to send people. And we quickly went right back to more than 400 people week in and week out. Exciting things were happening. We hadn't been here even a year and we had already gone to two services. But here's the thing. We had not arrived. This was just the beginning of a new journey. And it was the same for Israel. They've safely crossed the Jordan, but crossing the Jordan is not the arrival. It was the beginning of a new journey, They still have to conquer all the giants that lie before them and conquer all of these cities that lie ahead of them in order to possess the land. They've crossed the Jordan right beside Jericho, which will be the next amazing story of God's victory that we're going to see. But if you're an Israelite, what lies before you is pretty scary. Even after seeing all of God's miracles along the way, those are big giants. And to make it worse, as they cross the Jordan and the priests step out of the water... What happens? The water begins to flow again. You know, I've read this story hundreds of times, and I saw something new this week I'd never seen before. They cross the Jordan, the priests step out of the water, and the river begins to rage behind them again. A mile wide, white water, big river. And from a human perspective, the Israelites are now trapped. They've walked in faith, they've walked in obedience to cross the river. God's done a miracle to let them cross the river, and now they've got the giants ahead of them and all these cities that they have to conquer and a raging river behind them. And they're left with a choice of what are they going to do. See, you and I know that God didn't bring them this far to let them die. We've read the story. and We know this is just another step in the journey for them. He's going before them into battle. He's paving the way. All they had to do was continue to be obedient. But if I'm standing in their shoes, it's hard to recognize that. And I think that's the significance of chapter 4 in the story. There's an entire chapter here that's all about helping Israel just to pause and reflect and remember God's faithfulness, to refocus on his promise to be faithful to them. God tells Joshua to have a representative of each tribe, 12 different men to take a stone from the middle of the Jordan River and to carry it with them to Gilgal, where they will camp that night. And they're going to set up a memorial to remember this miraculous moment. Now keep in mind, they've already crossed the Jordan, so Joshua's asking these 12 guys who have just crossed in this miracle, on dry ground where the river stood up upstream, they cross across and he goes, go back into the river and get 12 stones and carry them out. Only the priests are standing in the water at this point. I can only, do, I, I can only give you my perspective on this. But I just crossed the river. That's a miracle. I'm watching a river stand up. I've never ever seen that before. I'm counting my lucky stars that I just got across. And now you're going to ask me to turn around and walk back into this same dry riverbed and pick up a stone? Uh, I don't know. But they didn't even question it. They went back, they grabbed the rocks, they put them on their shoulders, they carried them to Gilgal where they're going to set up the memorial. Pick up with me chapter 4, verse 19. It says, The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until all had crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful so you might fear the Lord your God forever. The stones that they pick up, the memorial that they create is a reminder of, of God's faithfulness, He's brought Israel this far. He's performed miracle after miracle to allow them to get to this point, and He's led His people every single step of the way. He will continue to go before them, paving the way, not only for them but for all future generations. And these stones remind them of that. Seeing it's the same for us: the merger, the new identity, the eminent domain provision, the relocation, this building, the purchase of our Highland City Hub, the house there the homework club that is launched out of that, the food pantry, the ministry that's happening in the community, the relationship that's been built with to Honduras, our sister church in El Zapote, Pastor Medardo, the leaders that God has sent our way, and the things that we've seen unfolding there, the discipleship and the spiritual growth that we see happening, d-groups and small groups, and all of these things we're watching unfold, those are our memorial stones as TBA. Those are the reflections and the reminders of God's faithfulness along the way of how He's walking with us. They're a reminder of God's faithfulness, and they're a reminder of our call to walk in faith wherever He leads. Wherever He leads. You see, we've crossed the Jordan, and we're beginning to walk in the Promised Land. We're walking in God's vision for TBA. But just like the nation of Israel, we've still got a lot of giants that we have to face. We've still got a lot of giants that we have to face. This is not the end of our journey. It's the beginning of another part of our journey. By our obedience and our faithfulness to God's plan, we are paving the, the, paving the way for future generations to come to know Christ and to continue to fulfill His dream for this church, for this community, and for the world. These are scary moments. Because the giants are big. And often the giants you and I face are a little harder to recognize. I mean... For the Israelites, at least they could see the giants. They were physical people. They knew who they were going to face. They knew what they were up against. They could see the cities that they had to conquer. For you and I, sometimes our giants are subtle little things that sneak into our lives. Giants like the giant of unfaithfulness. Of not being willing to choose God over everything else. Not allowing Him to, to, or allowing Him rather, to become one of many things. Instead of being our primary focus. We face the giant of a non-biblical worldview where we get away from God's Word and we begin to pick and choose which truths that we will follow. We allow our culture to shape our thinking and become our moral compass rather than the truth of God's Word. We begin to accept things like cohabitation, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, drunkenness, love of money, unrestrained anger. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And we see these things as okay because our culture has accepted them or even embraced them. We forget that we are called to live differently. We forget that we're called to love those who sin, but to hate the sin itself. We face giants of distraction. We face the giant of indifference. We face the giant of apathy, of fear. See, we stand in a critical moment in our journey. The giants stand before us and the river is raging behind us. What do we do? Do we choose to walk in faith and trust in God who has proven himself faithful over and over and over and over and over? Or do we tuck tail and run and try to make our way back across that raging river to escape? Step into God's vision for you. For us for TBA. That's the whole point of the series we're walking through, exploring how we can step into God's story. The vision for Israel is obvious as we read the story. They're taking the land. They've got it laid out before them. But sometimes for you and I, we question, what does that look like? What is this? How do we step into God's vision? How do we walk in faith? For some of you, it's as simple as making the choice today to start living for God. It's that simple. Stop sinning. Chase hard after Him be repentant. None of us are perfect. I'm not saying that you have to be, but if you are living in sin and it's unrepentant, if you're continuing in that lifestyle of making the same bad choices over and over and over, start there. Repent and follow hard after God and allow Him to change the direction of your life. Maybe you're at a place today where you need to invite Christ into your life for the first time. Choose to surrender your heart to Him and then allow us to walk with you on that journey. We would love to do that. Go back to Next Steps and talk to them. They've got books that they will give you. They'll walk with you. They'll partner you with someone who will walk with you and tell you about what it looks like and help you to see those next steps. For some of us, it's about being obedient in areas that God's been challenging us for a long time. Things like trusting God with our money, starting to tithe. Things like plugging in and serving instead of just sitting back each week. You don't know where to serve? I'll plug you in right now. We need you in TBA Kids. It takes between 50 and 75 people every week to do that, and that's one of the best ways that we are paving the way for the future generation in this church and bringing them up and discipling them. We would love to have you plug in there. Some of you just need to start cutting out all the distractions and put God first. Maybe God's inviting, or asking you to invite a coworker or a friend over for lunch or to the house for dinner or just to hang out so that you can build a relationship with them so that they can see God's love through you and the way you interact. Maybe you need to start by simply praying for somebody and pursuing them for Christ. That's our vision in its simplest form, pray and pursue. Pray for someone. Ask God to put someone on your heart that you can go after and then pursue them for him. Building relationship, living with them. Living out the vision. Maybe you need to break some bad patterns in your life. Patterns of bitterness, anger, entitlement. Maybe you need to stop the pattern of negativity like Steve talked about last week. What are your words doing? Are they speaking life? Are they speaking death? What are you speaking to yourself? What are you speaking to others? See, God hasn't called us to this vision of living since so that we can have a nice building and enjoy a safe worship experience once a week. That's not the point. He's called us to live every day of our lives with intentionality so that others will come to know Christ and be saved from their current path that's leading them to hell. Here's our problem. We're really good at making excuses and we're really good at justifying things like why we don't need to read our Bible or why we don't need to pray or don't need to pray more or why we don't need to serve or why we shouldn't tithe or even why we don't forgive those things around us, the petty little things in relationships that cause the breaks in our relationships. It's amazing sometimes how the littlest of things can stop what God wants to do in your life because we allow it. And the simple reality is that none of that matters when we realize what's at stake. None of that matters when we understand what God's calling us to. None of that matters when we understand that God's counting on us to share our lives with others, to live sent to invite in, to go out, to serve, to be with people, to pray for them, to pursue them, to share his love and his grace. See, the 12 stones that the nation of Israel placed in Gilgal, they were a point of remembrance, but they were also a call to action. It was the battle cry for Israel reminding them that God was going to be faithful and that He had already gone before them, just like I told you earlier that He said, I've gone before you and I've already given you victory over every enemy you will face. God has given them miracle after miracle after miracle to prove Himself, and He says, I'm already doing the next miracle in front of you. All you have to do is walk in obedience. All you have to do is walk in faith. He's paving the way. The question is, will you step into God's vision for TBA and for you? Will you step into God's vision for TBA and for you? Because that promise was not just for Israel. It was for you and me too. You probably noticed when you walked in that we placed some stones on stage this morning. Twelve stones, just like they took out of the Jordan River. And I hate to let you down, but they're not out of the Jordan River. They're just regular old Tennessee field stones. There's nothing special about the rocks other than Glenn names them and stuff. But the rocks themselves, there's nothing special about them, but they're intended to be symbolic reminders of God's faithfulness in our journey. To help us to look back at those moments where He's proven Himself faithful in our own lives and in the life of our church. All the things that I just told you about a while ago, those pieces of the journey where the only way we got here is because God showed up and did something amazing. The reminders of the story of Joshua and God's faithfulness to Israel. And all who have come behind them, including you and me. God has been faithful to us. Now it's our turn. What will we choose? I wonder, are you trusting God to dry up the riverbed in front of you? To stop the river and allow you to walk through on dry ground? Or are you like me and you often get stuck just assuming, well, it's going to be wet and soggy and muddy and nasty and I don't know if I can make it across. Are you purifying yourself? Are you preparing your heart for what God wants to do in and through you? Remember, the word that's actually used there is to consecrate, to set apart for God's purposes. Are you allowing yourself to be set apart for God's purpose in your life? God has set us apart for his purposes here at TBA, but are we ready for that? Are our hearts in tune with his? Are we walking in obedience with faith that is strong and courageous, just like we see over and over and over in this story, because we know God's going before us and he is our victory? Not you and I, it's not dependent on us. He is our victory. Band, you guys come on up. As the band plays this morning, I'm going to ask you just simply to respond however God speaks to your heart. I'll give you a couple of ideas of of what you might want to do and then you just respond in obedience. Maybe you want to come forward and actually lay your hand on one of these stones. Again, nothing special about the rocks. Just something that's symbolic to remind you of God's faithfulness. And I, I will encourage you, if you come up and you lay your hand on the rocks, make sure you don't like, pull them off towards you because we stood them up on end so they'd be nice and tall and you could see them, but I don't want you to walk away with a broken toe as well as God working on your heart, okay? But just lay your hand on them and just spend some time praying that, that God would speak to your heart and that he would remind you of those moments of his faithfulness in your own journey and in our church's journey and help you to see how he's walking with you. Maybe you need to go back to Next Steps and talk to somebody about a giant that you're facing right now. Or maybe you need to plug into a small group. You can do that at at Next Steps as well where you have people who are walking around you, surrounding you, doing life with you day in and day out, helping you to see the journey that God's got you on and how He is faithful. Or maybe it's as simple as you just need to take some time there at your seat to either kneel or to sit and just to spend some time praying with your Heavenly Father about what He might be revealing to your heart and how He's going to help you to face the giants that are in front of you and to help you to walk in obedience. Whatever it may be, you respond in obedience this morning. If you would stand, I'm going to pray, then the band's going to play, and you respond as God speaks to your heart. God, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have just to come and to be a part of what you're doing here. Thankful that we get to be a part of your story, God. It's so exciting to be able to see how you are at work and to be able to go back through the story of Joshua and see all the many things that you did for the Israelites and and the ways that you paved the way for them over and over and over, the miracles that you accomplished, God, just the many ways that that you allowed them to step into your vision, that you allowed them to experience your faithfulness. God, I pray that you would help remind us of some of those same things. Help us to look back at at those memorial points in our life, those moments where you have done amazing things for us, where you've worked miracles in our lives, where you have paved the way for us to walk after your vision and your purpose for us. And then bigger than that, God, I pray that you would help us to walk in obedience in those moments. Give us a faith that is strong and courageous, that's willing to trust you, that's willing to walk in obedience and faith. When you say you're going to stop the river, that we're going to walk through on dry ground. When you say that you've conquered our enemies before us, that we will go after them and we know that you have already won the victory. All we have to do is follow after you. God, help us to walk in faith. Because you are mighty and you have gone before us. Speak to our hearts now and let us respond in obedience. In your name we pray.